Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello and welcome into a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride of Mile High Sports. You can find all of our Nuggets coverage over at milehighsports.com underneath that Nuggets tab. You can also find all of my work over on my Twitter at TJ McBride NBA. So last night, the Nuggets came out without six players, including three starters, and beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 109 to 98. This is now the 12th time the Nuggets have held a team under 100 points. They have held the Thunder under 100 points in both the games that they have played against them. And Denver just keeps finding ways to beat great teams. And I want to get into all kinds of things from this game. There's going to be a lot to unpack, so it might be a little bit of a longer podcast. But I want to get into the Nuggets finding ways to beat great teams, even though they're shorthanded. I want to talk about Nikola Jokic and how he's carrying the Nuggets when they need him the most. Uh, I'm going to talk about Monte Morris picking up the slack with so many backcourt injuries and so much production that is needed with this Nuggets team. Um, in addition to that, Torrey Craig has been defending extremely well recently. Recently, and he even added some offensive firepower to this game and was great on Russell Westbrook once again. This is now two games this season, um, the only two games that the Nuggets have actually played the Thunder in which Torrey Craig absolutely got the better of Russell Westbrook when he was defending him. Um, Let's also talk about Jamal Murray. Uh, he's really starting to get under players' skin, and I kind of love it. He's leaning into the whole villain role, and that's kind of fantastic for this Nuggets team, and it's something the Nuggets needed. They need that edge, and we'll definitely get into more of that. Um, and we'll also talk about some Twitter questions. Um, I got a bunch of good Twitter questions. I picked, I think, six uh, questions to dive into, and they're all different kinds of questions, so that'll be good. And then we'll look at the Nuggets' remaining schedule for the month of December and try and at least predict what what the Nuggets will go in that stretch because the games are actually pretty winnable outside of a couple tough ones. So we'll get into all of those things. But before we talk about all of that, let me give a quick shout out to the Regulators production crew. Um, they are the ones who created the beats that you hear on the intro and outro of this podcast, as well as the intro back in from the, from the advertisement read. And as well, when I talk about that advertisement read, Terrapin Care Station is a sponsor of the show. And let me give you a quick word from them before we dive into everything else. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one -on -one to help you find the products that 
that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. Let's dive into all of the ins and outs of this Nuggets win over the Thunder. But before we get into everything about the Thunder game in particular, it's I want to reflect on just how incredible it's been that the Nuggets have been able to win games against quality opponents with so many players injured. Gary Harris went down in the first quarter against the Toronto Raptors back on December 3rd. Since then, the Nuggets are 4-2, and two, and they've beaten the um, on the road the Raptors and the Magic and then came home to beat the Grizzlies and the Thunder. The only two games they lost were to to Charlotte and to the Hawks on the road, and that was freshly off of Paul Millsap's broken toe when things weren't quite working very well. In addition to that, the Nuggets were playing their 9th and 10th road games in 11 and 12 games, so the Nuggets were just exhausted by that point in time. So it does make sense that the Nuggets dropped a couple of those games on the road trip, but overall... To not have Gary Harris and to not have Paul Millsap and then to be able to go 4-2 and two in those six games is unbelievably impressive for this Nuggets team. And jumping ahead, jumping ahead now to this Oklahoma City game, that was arguably the most impressive win of any of those four wins because... Yes, beating Toronto is a big deal. That's a very, very tough game. But to be this shorthanded and to get a division win against the, you know, one of the best teams in the Western Conference in the Oklahoma City Thunder, they were just a half game behind the Nuggets for the one seed in the Western Conference prior to this game. And to just take care of business was very impressive. Oklahoma City is the best defense in basketball, and the Nuggets put up 60 points in them in the first half. Um, the Thunder were 17-5 and coming into this game after starting the season 0-4. Um, now, obviously, they, took, they just took their sixth loss, which will now have them at 10 total losses, but this Thunder team is not a team just to joke around with. This is not a team that you can just roll through when, whenever you feel like getting a win. This is a very, very talented Thunder roster, and the Nuggets came in and took care of business. I mean, they ended up holding the Thunder to just 41.1% shooting from the field, and then they, had, they out-rebounded them, and they had more second-chance points than them, and if you do that against the Thunder, you usually give yourself a good opportunity to win, but the big thing was was that defense. The Nuggets defense showed up once again. They weren't great defending the three-point line, but they weren't bad either. And when that happens, you give yourself an opportunity to win the game, and that's when Nikola Jokic took over the offense and really was assertive and aggressive and allowed the Nuggets offense to do just enough to secure this win. But again, the Nuggets win is so impressive, and for them to now be 5-0 and in the Northwest Division is a very big deal for tiebreakers. The Nuggets are also 12-4 and in the Western Conference, which, if the division record is not the tiebreaker, it then goes to conference record, which is a very big deal. So being 12-4 and in the West early is huge, and now, over the last 10 games of the Nuggets being as injured as they have been, they are now 8-2 and in their last 10 games. The only team who has been better over the last 10 games in all of basketball 
basketball is the Boston Celtics, who have won eight straight games at this point. So the Nuggets are actually as hot of a team as anybody in the NBA right now, and that's with them being unbelievably banged up. So again, the Nuggets just keep finding ways to win games and to keep finding ways to rack up these wins, and it's unbelievably impressive that the Nuggets have been able to do so. And I think so much of this this past 10 games, this 8-2 and two stretch the Nuggets have gone on, Michael Malone deserves so much credit for it. And I usually don't like to start jumping into Coach of the Year conversations early in the season. That's why you haven't heard me talk about it yet. But over these last 10 games, especially these last 6 games, Michael Malone has thrown his name into the conversation for Coach of the Year. He has kept his team positive, upbeat, and excited. He's kept the pace very high. He's gotten his team to buy into defensive philosophies. And because of all of those things, the Nuggets have been able to weather a storm without about 50 points per game, um, just of players on their injury report that are not able to participate at this moment in time. Michael Malone has really embodied the Nuggets' um, emotional, I guess where they are currently at emotionally, and he's kept them even keeled, and he's kept them upbeat, like I said, and it's really impressive to see how this Nuggets team has rallied around their head coach, and they've rallied around Michael Malone, and they've believed in Michael Malone, and that's been a very big development for this Nuggets team, and that's why Michael Malone deserves to be in that top three candidates for Coach of the Year. Doc Rivers is going to give him a run for his money if the, if the Clippers can continue to play this well. Nick Nurse has the Raptors playing very, very well right now, and Mike Budenholzer over in Milwaukee has the Bucks playing as great as they have ever played, in addition to getting... Giannis playing to the best of his abilities, but none of them have had to deal with the injuries that Michael Malone has had, had to deal with, and honestly... Nick Nurse was handed a very, very talented roster, a roster that had already uh, claimed the number one seed last year in the Eastern Conference, and then he was granted the ability to have Kawhi Leonard also be added to that roster. So Nick Nurse, while doing a very good job, he has been given a lot more opportunities that Michael Malone has not had. And the same goes for Mike Budenholzer. It does not take a genius to realize that if you put four shooters alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo, he is going to do whatever he wants in the paint. That is not a, a revolutionary thought process from Mike Budenholzer. He's just doing what Jason Kidd should have done for years prior to this. So really, I think the two coaches that are in the conversation for Coach of the Year that have a very good argument for it are Doc Rivers and Michael Malone, but Doc Rivers has not had to deal with the same injury concerns and the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of this season, and while he probably has the Clippers performing at a higher clip than they should, in, you know, in respect to how much Michael Malone has gotten out of the Nuggets, you can't look over the fact that the Nuggets have been a bottom five defensive team since Michael Malone has been the head coach of the Nuggets, and now this year he has gotten them bought in so much defensively that they have become a top five defensive group. That has to be a part of this conversation. Sorry for the complete tangent on Michael Malone here, but I think it's important to, re to note how important he has been for this Nuggets team. And I'm currently working on a piece about how the uh, the Nuggets players view Michael Malone and how much of an asset he is that should be up within the next week on Mile High Sports. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. It's a lot of great thoughts from Jamal Murray and from Trey Lyles and other players like that who have been able to benefit the most from Michael Malone being such a player's coach and a guy who gets the most out of his guys. Um, but 
without you know going on too much of a soliloquy here about Michael Malone, I think it's time to jump ahead to Nikola Jokic really stepping up when the Nuggets need him to step up the most. He has absolutely taken this Nuggets team under his wing and is doing everything in his power to be able to get them to where they want to be. Nikola Jokic is not known as an overly assertive offensive scorer. He's a guy who takes what the defense gives to him, and he exploits those holes in the defense that he is playing against. But against this Thunder team, and you know, over the last six games, Nikola Jokic has been hyper-aggressive. And in that first quarter um, against the Thunder, he was going at the rim over and over again. And while not every shot fell, and he didn't shoot an, an incredibly high clip in that first quarter or that first half, his assertiveness as a scorer opened up the floor for him to go back into a playmaking role later in the game. But overall, I mean, Nikola Jokic led the Nuggets team with 16 shots attempted. He had eight of those shots. He also led the Nuggets in free throws attempted with six. He threw in 24 points, 15 rebounds, and nine assists in almost 36 minutes of action and was just in complete control of this game. He was so dominant for the majority of this game against the Thunder. And that's not to say that Steven Adams did not get the better of him on the other end of the floor. Nikola Jokic was not as good defensively in this game as he has been throughout the year, but Steven Adams was just a monster. I mean, he had a, a nine offensive rebounds in the first half against the Nuggets. Adams was an absolute force, and he just was able to hit whatever he wanted to once he got into the paint and had good post position. But overall, I think Nikola Jokic still managed to outplay Steven Adams and was able to be such an important full of this Nuggets offense. He was the orchestrator of the offense once again and has been that way for the past six games. And I know that I keep hammering the whole six games thing and that's because it was six games ago when the Nuggets played the Raptors that Gary Harris got hurt so he got hurt in the first quarter of that Raptors game so including that Raptors game which makes it six games for the Nuggets since then Nikola Jokic is now averaging 21 points 11.3 rebounds 9.3 assists 1.8 steals per game with 112.9 offensive rating and 103.5 defensive rating that gives him a 9 point net rating individually for this Nuggets team and he's taken about three more shots a game and he's taken about three more free throw attempts per game as well over that stretch he has turned himself into an all-star player he's played near an all-star level for the majority of the season but what he's been able to do over this last six game stretch is absolutely all-star worthy and Harrison Wind of BSN Denver has pointed this out just as I have that this stretch without Paul Millsap, without Gary Harris, without Will Barton, up until basically the new year comes around, that stretch may be the stretch that Nikola Jokic grabs his first ever all-star berth because the Nuggets need him to do so much for them. For them. And with him being able to come out here and put up 21-11-9 as a center while grabbing two steals a game and being an overall strong defensive player for this team, that's huge for this Nuggets team with how injured they are. And it's going to give Nikola Jokic an opportunity to force himself into the national limelight, which should in turn give him the ability to become an all-star player this season. At this point, I mean, you're talking about him fighting off basically Steven Adams for the all-star berth as a center. I mean, 
when it comes to all NBA teams, as long as you include Anthony Davis in that category for all NBA teams, Nikola Jokic is probably the third um, the third team all NBA center right now behind Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis. He has been that good so far, and he is really forcing himself back into the forefront of everybody's mind for an all-star appearance, and he deserves so. He has played that well this year, and I can't wait to see if he actually is able to grab that because it would be his first all-star game. And he said during the pre during the preseason that it was a goal of his to be an all star player this year, and he is well on his way right now. In addition to the front court and Nikola Jokic really picking up the slack in a lot of ways, the other player who has picked up the rest of the slack with so many players hurt is Monte Morris, who just continually finds new ways to impact the game for the Denver Nuggets. So against the Thunder, Morris finished with 14 points, 6 assists, and 0 turnovers to continue his historic season in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio. But for him to also be 6 of 11 from the field, hit 2 of his 5 threes, and then get 3 rebounds to help out as well as two steals defensively he continues to find more and more ways to help this Nuggets team um, prosper with so many injuries that they are currently dealing with so Monte Morris I mean he's added a level of creation that normally Will Barton would fill. He's added a level of shot making that normally Gary Harris would fill, and he has been able to play with the starters, without the starters. He has the bench unit playing well. He is able to play alongside Nikola Jokic, which we saw in full effect against the Thunder. He was getting backdoor passes and passing out of the paint after getting passes off the cut from Jokic at the high post, and he was really finding his niche within the offense when playing alongside Nikola Jokic. Yes, he's going to have the ball in his hands as much as anybody not named Nikola Jokic from playing with that starting unit, but he was still able to keep the ball moving at such a high level that he was creating open looks and creating hockey assists that Nikola Jokic really started with the breakdown of the defense in dribble handoff sets with Monte Morris. And not enough can be said about how good defensively he was as well. Because yes, we I mean, it's very clear that Russell Westbrook struggled. I mean, he went 5 of 15 from the field, and there were moments in which Monte Morris was defending him, but for Dennis Schroeder to shoot 3 of 13 from the field, that was Monte Morris's primary defensive matchup, and yes, his numbers have been good defensively, but there's things that he does on the floor that don't get seen, that don't really get realized about how important Monte Morris has been for this Nuggets team, and in the fourth quarter, there was a play late in the game where he straight up boxed out Steven Adams by himself, one-on-one under the rim. He got his entire body into Steven Adams, and while he didn't move him backwards, he was able to keep Steven Adams at bay under the rim. There are very few centers who are able to do that, let alone six foot two, six foot three point guards with a slender build. I mean, that just speaks directly to Monte Morris's toughness and the fact that he's been able to give the Nuggets some scoring, some playmaking, high level defense, and everything in between. He's been huge for the Nuggets' ability to weather this storm with all of these injuries that they are dealing with because he has been so good in so many ways so far this year. And I can't say enough about Monte Morris. He has been spectacular spectacular for the Nuggets and people forget that he only played one game of non-garbage time minutes last year he was not in a position in which he was able to continually get all of these great looks and great ability to get all of this run his rookie season really he only played in the G League for his rookie year so for him to come out and to be this productive and this effective and this efficient is it's a sight to behold and he's really starting to capture a lot of like the whole 
fan favorite vibes among Nuggets fans. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't absolutely adore watching Monte Morris play basketball. He has been that good, and it's been an absolute joy to watch, and I can't say enough good things about Monte Morris. The other player in this game that was, again, lights out, just as he was when they played the Thunder um, in the first meeting this season, was Torrey Craig. Um, we I talked about how Torrey Craig was great defensively on Russell Westbrook. He held Russell Westbrook to 5 of 15 from the field in this game. He had four turnovers as well and was an overall minus nine in this game. And that was a big part to do with Torrey Craig, who continually finds ways to get under the skin of Russell Westbrook. I mean, he just drives the man crazy. Over the past two games, Russell West that, that, that the Nuggets and the Thunder have played this season, Westbrook is a combined 11 of 38 from the field and just 2 of 15 from 3. That has everything to do with Torrey Craig. He has been the primary defender on Russell Westbrook. And if you can limit Westbrook to end up being your third highest scorer of the game and to have him shoot 5 of 15 from the field, unless Paul George goes absolutely bananas, you put yourself in a very good position to be able to win that game. And that's exactly what Torrey Craig did. But in this game, it was different because it wasn't just the defensive production that you got from Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig also managed to throw in a career-high 15 points on 6 of 7 shooting, including 3 of 4 from three. When Torrey Craig is able to be a plus offensive player in addition to his energy and his defense, it makes him a legitimately helpful NBA player and a real NBA rotation player who can give teams very good minutes. He played 35 minutes tonight against Russell Westbrook's 36. Malone employed Torrey Craig every single time that the Thunder employed Russell Westbrook, and Craig was overall a plus nine in this game, which was the which was very good because, I mean, think about it. The Nuggets won this game by 11 points, and Torrey Craig was a plus 9. That is not a coincidence. That absolutely spells out the fact that Torrey Craig was instrumental in the Nuggets' win. And when he also adds in 5 rebounds, 2 of which were offensive, and 3 assists as well, just for good measure, that's a great game from Torrey. That is exactly what the Nuggets need from Torrey. And... Again, he was just awesome. I mean, he was even hitting step-back mid-range jumpers in this game. And yes, 15 points is a career high does not seem like much, but people forget that Torrey Craig was averaging like 25 points per game in the G League. This is not a guy who is without offensive skill. He may not be as skilled as most NBA players are offensively, but he has the ability to produce for teams offensively when he gets going. And that's exactly what happened against the Thunder, and his offense was direly needed for this Nuggets game. Without him able to hit those threes and able to score in the paint, the Nuggets don't win this game. Flat out, full stop. He was that good. Torrey Craig was one of the most important Nuggets players in this game. And because of that, he deserves as much of as much of respect as Monte Morris did in this game as well. He was very, very good. And that's such an important development for this Nuggets team. And the other player that I thought was strong was Jamal Murray. He had some maddening plays, but he had some very good plays as well. Overall, he was 8 of 15 from the field, but was 0 of 4 from 3. He wasn't the playmaker he has been, but he had 9 rebounds in this game. But unfortunately, he coupled that with 5 turnovers. Jamal was really a mixed bag in this game, but that's not what we want to talk about when it comes to Jamal Murray. What we want to talk about is his scuffle at the end of the game with Russell Westbrook. So, 
I, I think Jamal Murray likes this, but let, let, let's just go through what happened first and foremost. So there was going to be a jump ball. Jamal Murray had his spot outside of the jump ball circle waiting for the play to start. Russell Westbrook tries to move Jamal Murray off of his spot and Murray stands his ground. That's when Westbrook then turns and pushes Jamal Murray and that is really when everything escalated. So Murray kept John at Westbrook after he pushed him. And then my favorite part of this entire altercation was Nikola Jokic immediately throwing himself into the middle of that scrum in order to protect his point guard, Jamal Murray. He threw himself right in front of Russell Westbrook and started talking a lot of talk as well. And that's when Jokic and Murray started getting into it. And pardon my French here, but Russell Westbrook started telling Nikola Jokic that he was going to fuck him up repeatedly. And this is the best part. Nikola Jokic's face, like he could not have cared less he was just like it looked like he was basically used to this encounter and was just doing what he needed to do and just moved on and immediately left the, the situation when he was done with it and while Russell Westbrook could not let it go Nikola Jokic could not care less it looked like Jokic was just getting ready for the next play and Westbrook was just yapping and yapping and yapping then Jamal Murray and Westbrook started getting into it again. Michael Malone had to come onto the court to pull both Murray and Nicola away from the argument. Double technicals were assessed to both Russell Westbrook and Jamal Murray. And then finally, they had the tip ball. And this was the best part. The tip goes out. Jamal Murray catches the ball in a full sprint with nobody in front of him and gets a wide open layup and transition off of it. And you could just see the deflation in the thunder when that happened. Like that, It really summed up the game very well for the Thunder that through all of that insanity that was that game the ball just continually kept falling towards the Nuggets and it worked and I I loved it it was great I I love seeing Jamal Murray continually be a guy who gets under people's skin and there was a question about this that I want I'll talk about it more in the in a little bit here that I got from Twitter um but Jamal Murray, he, he he enjoys getting under people's skin, I think. I genuinely do. And it's giving the Nuggets an edge that they did not have before. Before we jump back into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast and get to some Twitter questions, let me give you one quick more word from Terrapin Care Station for all of your cannabis goods in Colorado. Um, for the next month, they're going to be doing $69 ounces and $39 ounces. They're going to be doing $20 Terrapins, that's the house shelf only, $5 cones, which are those cone joints, and then 25% off all double bear concentrates. In addition to that, go down there and let them know that Mile High Sports sent you maybe they'll give you a little bit of hookup they're great at what they do and again if you want to find them anywhere on the internet that is terrapincarestation.com definitely go check them out for all of your cannabis goods and products Time for what is my favorite segment of doing this show, as I always say, and that is taking questions from people on Twitter and diving into all of the ins and outs of what the fans and the listeners are curious about. So the first one came from Nathan on Twitter. He asked, do you think the Nuggets actually have a shot in a seven-game series with the Golden State Warriors? I was talking to some media members about this last night after the game. It was probably like two in the morning, though, so we were delirious, but... 
I, I, I th- honestly think that the Nuggets, it's not a 0% chance. And for most teams, I would be like, there's a 0% chance that you're going to beat the Golden State Warriors in the seven-game playoff series. Like, that does not happen often unless you're LeBron James and you turn into Thanos for a seven-game series and carry a, your team to a win. But the Nuggets just, they match up well. They have enough shooting. They have enough guys and enough situations and enough... They have the versatility to be able to at least make life difficult for the Warriors. I mean, if they wanted to play big, the Nuggets can play big. If they want to play small, they can play small. They have enough shooting to keep up with anybody in the league. And the Warriors do not have an answer for Nikola Jokic. One of the things that I think is most interesting about Nikola Jokic and about the Nuggets matchup with the Warriors is that The Warriors have to put Draymond Green, their best defender, on Nikola Jokic for at least the majority of the game. But what that does is that it forces Draymond Green to entirely focus on nobody else on the floor but Nikola Jokic when he's defending. So that means you don't have him stunting down. You don't have him causing the chaos as the rover defender as Draymond Green has done so many times in his career. So... Listen, I'm not going to say the Nuggets would be favored. I'm not going to say that they would even have a 20% chance to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. What I'm saying is that it's a non-zero percent chance, and that alone is very impressive for what is the second youngest team in all of the NBA and the Denver Nuggets. I do think they match up well. I think they match up better with the Warriors than they would match up with, uh, let's say, the Rockets, for instance, or LeBron James. Uh, the one thing I would say about this, though, is that the only way the Nuggets would actually end up meeting up with the Warriors in a playoff series is if it was either the second round of the playoffs or the Western Conference Finals. I do not see a scenario in which the Nuggets are able to play them in the first round of the series. That would take a heck of a fall from the Nuggets or from the Warriors, but if, let's just say, they find a way for that matchup to take place at some point in time, I don't think the Nuggets are as overmatched as most teams would be against the Warriors. Um, The next one, Jordan Scott on Twitter, a regular listener of the show who I appreciate quite a bit, he asked, what do you think Trey Lyles' trade value is around the league? I don't think Trey Lyles, as an individual trade asset, has much value, just because There's not very many teams who are looking for a project power forward who hasn't quite shown everything yet and is still struggling at his shots. Where I think Trey Lyles' value lies is that he is a great throw-in for a bigger deal that would um, involve a guy like Jamal Murray or Mason Plumlee or a bigger deal for a guy like Bradley Beal or whatever, you know more of a blockbuster type trade would look like. Trey Lyles is an addition. He is a trade sweetener. He is not somebody that is going to be individually moved for anybody else out there in the NBA. And if he did, it would be much more of a fringe move than it would be a move that actually moves the needle for the Nuggets. So I do not think that there's a whole lot of individual trade value for Trey Lyles. His value lies in him being a trade sweetener instead. Uh, John on Twitter, as he always does, asked for an update on Will Barton. And the reason I wanted to talk about this today was because I do think Will Barton is getting closer and closer and closer. Um, 
So Sunday, December 16th, which you may be listening to the show that day, that you may be listening to it on Saturday, um, that will be one week since he was then deemed to be on a week-to-week basis. So in my opinion, and this is speculatory, this is guessing, this is not confirmed, this is not sourced, I have no background information on this, but I do think that Will Barton will likely be back in eight days from Saturday, December 15th. That would put him at December 23rd-ish area, which I believe would put the Nuggets, um, it would probably have him returning the day after Christmas when the Nuggets take on the Spurs in San Antonio, or it would be Saturday before that, which would be, I believe, the 23rd against the Clippers in LA that he could return. Um, I would be surprised if they had Will Barton return for a road game, so I think Friday the 28th when the Nuggets take on the Spurs in Denver would be a more likely time for Will Barton to return, but he's close. Like, it is not insane to think that Will Barton could be back within the next eight days, and that would be huge for this Nuggets team. Sean on Twitter asked, is it a good thing for Jamal Murray to be a villain? I've wrestled with this question a lot recently, and I'm not 100% sure of my answer. I do think that Jamal Murray enjoys being the villain. I think that Jamal Murray wants to be the guy that gets under people's skin. But at the same time, I don't know if I want Jamal Murray leaning into that too much. Um, How do I phrase this the right way? I've been going back and forth forever. Um... I do think it's a good thing. I think that Jamal Murray being a little bit of an aggressor and a little bit of an asshole on the floor gives the Nuggets a different edge that they did not previously have. Also, they need somebody who is willing just to go get their shot and get under guys' skin and be that assertive individual because they don't have a lot of guys like that. Paul Millsap is not assertive. Gary Harris is not assertive. Nikola Jokic is usually not assertive. Jamal Murray is the guy that can play in that fashion, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is the slow growth of Jamal Murray taking on that alpha role within this Nuggets team. Not the best player. Nikola Jokic is the best player, but the alpha personality. So I do think it's good that Jamal Murray is developing this. What I don't want to see happen is Jamal try and lean into this whole villain thing so much that what it does is that it takes away from him from his ability to play the way that he does. I don't want Jamal looking to get under everybody's skin. I don't want Jamal Murray looking to bother players and frustrate players. He does not need to be Dante Jones. He does not need to be an enforcer. He just needs to stand his ground and be a guy that does not take any crap from anybody else. And I think that is how Jamal Murray can be the quote-unquote villain and it still be a good thing. But it's a thin line. It's a hard line to walk to be a villain in this day and age in the NBA. Adam on Twitter had two questions that I wanted to get to. Um, What do we do when the whole team is healthy? I've answered this question before, but my answer has changed a little bit. So let's just say Isaiah Thomas is healthy and involved in this rotation and everybody else is healthy. I'm not going to include Jared Vanderbilt or Michael Porter Jr. in this because even if they do get healthy, I do not envision them having a role on this Denver Nuggets team. So let's just say that everybody's back to the starting unit. You have Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. Then you have Isaiah Thomas return off the bench. If that happens... That would leave the Nuggets with a 10-man rotation of their five starters that I already uh, pointed out, and then Monte Morris and Isaiah Thomas and Mason Plumley for sure. Where things get interesting is beyond that. Who are the other two players to fill out that 10-man rotation? And originally, I would have said Trey Lyles and one of Wancho, Torrey Craig, or Malik Beasley. 
I've changed my tune on that. I think that Trey Lyles may get the axe out of this rotation when if everybody does eventually come back healthy at the same time so that Malone can continue to play Juancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley and Torrey Craig, two of them at any given time, and mix and match to get the most versatility on that bench unit. Trey Lyles has just struggled a lot this year, and he hasn't been a player that looks like he necessarily fits within this Nuggets um, offensive and defensive schemes. He could if his three-point shot starts to fall, but he's so far away from that, and he just does not look confident in his shot. And if he continues to play at this level, I think it might be Trey Lyles that gets the axe in the rotation, which leaves two spots for uh, which would leave two spots for two of Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley, and Juancho Hernan Gomez to then take over. Um, the next question that Adam had is, do you see the Nuggets being active with a trade deadline for a potential superstar? No. I mean, okay, I don't want to say no outright like that. I do think Tim Connolly is the kind of GM or president of basketball operations that if a deal presented itself that was too good to pass up, he would pull the trigger on it. He is an aggressive general manager, an aggressive decision maker, but unless a deal like that, you know, suddenly appears in front of Tim Connolly's face, I do not think the Nuggets make any trades because they already have so much talent, so much depth, and a roster that fits together so well that why mess with that to try and go get a superstar player? Again, if the deal is just too good to pass up, they will make that deal. But in terms of going out and looking for a deal like that, I do not see that being the case. All right, last question I wanted to get to. Jay on Twitter asked, how important is it that the fans are actually showing up this year and how would you compare the fan support this year to last year? I love this question because the Nuggets, in terms of all of their players as well as their coaches, have all at different points talked about this. And the Nuggets' home crowds have been great this year. I mean, they've been nothing short of great. They've sold out more home games than they have not, which is a big deal for a Nuggets team that basically was playing in front of nobody three years ago. There was points three years ago that you could hear a pin drop in that Pepsi Center during a basketball game. That's gone. The Nuggets fans have been great, and it hasn't just been traveling fans of opposing teams filling it up. When the Nuggets played the Celtics, it was a pro-Nuggets crowd, which is rare. When the Nuggets played the Lakers, it was a pro-Nuggets crowd. When they played the Warriors, it was a pro-Nuggets crowd. It genuinely seems like this Nuggets team is developing a following within within Colorado that they have not had since that 2012-13 season when they ended up winning 57 games. But I think it's a very big deal that the Nuggets fans are showing up because when you have that kind of extra energy to dip into when things get tough, it makes the Nuggets a better team. And it's been great to see Denver able to have that kind of fan support after fighting to get that fan support for so many years. So great question from Jay. That's one that was very important to touch on. So looking down for the last, so we're halfway through December. It is December 15th today as I record this podcast on Saturday. So that means there are, there are 16 days left in December. Oh, I'm sorry. 15 days left in December. I have not been sleeping much recently. Um, So what they have coming up next is Sunday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. They will take on the Toronto Raptors in Denver. So you'll probably be listening to this podcast the day that they will be taking on the Raptors. They then have one day off and they will take on the Mavericks in Denver to finish out their four-game homestand. They then have three days off before going on the road to take on the Clippers in Los Angeles in what will probably be an 
an absolutely great game. The Nuggets have already beaten the Clippers once this year. Being able to beat them again and get that head-to-head will be a very useful thing for the Nuggets. They then have three more days off. So the Nuggets will play literally one game in seven days in that stretch, which will be a great amount of rest for the Nuggets when they need it the most. They will then take on the Spurs in San Antonio on the 26th, the day after Christmas at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time, before having one day off and heading back to Denver to take on the Spurs once again for a home-and-home. They then will have a back-to-back in Phoenix the next day to finish out December. So, looking at the schedule, the Nuggets will probably lose one of the two San Antonio games. It is so hard to beat San Antonio when you play them back-to-back twice. That's just not something that I envision the Nuggets being able to pull off. So, let's just say they have one loss there. They lose to the Raptors because it's not fair to pick the Nuggets to beat the Raptors in Denver down three stars because the Raptors have been so good. That means the Nuggets have the capability of going 4-2 and two in their last six games. So that would be 1, 2, 3, 4, yeah, six games. So if they go 4-2 and two in their last six games in December, that would be incredibly impressive. And they could do so because they have so much time off. I mean... When you have a day off the Raptors, a day off the Mavericks, three days off the Clippers, three more days off San Antonio, and then a day off before taking on the Spurs and the Suns on a back-to-back, there's enough rest there for the Nuggets to grab a couple more games. I think the realistic goal is to go 3-3 three and three just because that Clippers game is kind of a coin flip, but if the Nuggets can stay above 500. Um, in this stretch with all of these players hurt and go into the new year with players coming back seemingly every week, they're going to put themselves in a fantastic position to be able to suddenly put themselves back among the upper echelon teams in the entire NBA and begin surging and get back on track and get momentum in January and February before their big playoff push begins. The Nuggets have put themselves in a very advantageous situation even despite all the injuries. And it's been very incredible to watch. And this next, these next six games to finish out the last 15 days of December are going to be hyper interesting to see how the Nuggets handle all of that. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I can't tell you what it means to me. I know this was a little bit of a longer podcast, but there was a lot to unpack from this game. Um, thank you for following along. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for sharing it on Twitter. Everything like that. Thank you to Terrapin Care Station for sponsoring the show. Thank you to Rod Sim- on Instagram and the Regulators Production Group for putting these beats together for all of this. Thank you to everybody who has allowed this Nuggets Daily Podcast to continue to prosper and grow. Please go to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast, rate this podcast, leave a comment for me to look back to. Reach out to me on Twitter with feedback. I am at TJ McBride MBA on Twitter. My DMs are always open and my email is in my Twitter bio. If you want to sponsor this show, reach out to me. We're always willing to listen to new sponsorship opportunities for this um, for the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. And again, I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you for following along. There will be another podcast coming out Sunday night that you'll probably hear Monday morning after the Nuggets take on the Raptors. But until then, keep it locked to Mile High Sports for all of your Nuggets needs. And thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.
Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.